little while ago, a friend and I uh, were out and decided to go to breakfast. We've been out driving in the country and there was a little town that we drove through and it looked like a great breakfast spot and I like to go out to breakfast. So we parked and walked into this restaurant and the strangest thing happened. This has never happened to me before. It was like TV. We opened the door of the restaurant, which was pretty full. We opened the door and all conversations stopped and every head turned and stared at us. And it was just like, and they just watched us. The waitress finally came over and seated us at a table. And once we got, once we sat down, people finally turned and went back to their discussions or whatever. And it was so weird. I mean, I have never felt more like you are not welcome here. You are not one of the regulars. We don't know you. We don't want you. Well, I wouldn't say they didn't want us. They welcomed us to eat and spend our money, but I've never felt so much not a part of something. I was not one of those people. And I've been thinking a lot about that experience, about being welcome in some place and not being welcome in others. And I've noticed that between the pandemic and the incredible national turmoil, that so much has been shifting. I look at the landscape today and I ask, where do I belong? Um, and there are some places where I have felt welcome all my life and I'm not sure if I feel welcome there anymore. And it's a little bit disconcerting thinking, where do I belong? Where am I welcome? And maybe as you're re-entering things, maybe you've asked those questions too. And then I think of our church and I wonder who's welcome here at Harbor Covenant? Who belongs here? Uh, is our church characterized by the priorities of the gospel or are other social, economic, or political considerations really what drive our attitude towards other people and how we welcome them? And when I've been thinking about this, it's been helpful to consider it in terms of welcome mats. And this is not original to me. I wish it were, and I also wish I remember where I first heard it. But it goes something like this. We have a welcome mat. It says welcome on it. And we mean that. The Covenant Church has always had a priority of welcoming whoever God draws to us to be a part of us. But the welcome mat for some people says welcome guest. And for other people it says welcome home. And there is an enormous difference between the two. Like back at the restaurant, I was obviously not part of the family. I could be there as a guest, but I wasn't part of the family. What does our welcome mat say to people? Does it say welcome guest or does it say welcome home? How do we make sure that it says welcome home to more people and not just us? So to help us think about this, I want to tell you a really interesting story. I've known this story forever, but I'm finding out that as with many biblical stories, there's a lot more depth and many more layers to it than I thought. So we're going to look at a portion out of Acts chapter 6, beginning at verse 1. In those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, It would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. 
Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and we'll give our full attention to prayer and the ministry of the Word. So, context of the book of Acts. Uh, the book of Acts opens with uh, Jesus giving a charge to his disciples, promising that the Holy Spirit will come. And then it begins to tell the story of the development of the church, starting in Jerusalem and then going out as different people hear the Jesus story and decide to follow Jesus. And so this is fairly early on in the development of the church. And it, it talks about a, kind of an interesting uh, dynamic that would be unique to Jerusalem at that time. Because there were there are two types of Jews at the time. There were the Hebraic Jews, those are the people who lived uh, and were from Jerusalem. And then what's called the Hellenistic Jews here, those are Jews from the diaspora. That's the dispersion. Those were Jews who, for one reason or another, were driven out of their homes or moved out of their homes. And they might live as close as Judea and Samaria, which would be like, you know, we're from Gig Harbor, but you're from Shelton or something like that. Or they could be even further away. Uh, you know, across the Mediterranean. So these are Jews that for one reason or another have, have left, maybe for generations. And one of the distinctions between the two, which you hear in the, the terms Hebraic and Hellenistic, is the Hebraic Jews spoke Aramaic. Hebrew was only spoken in the temple. It was a religious language. So, but, but they were closer to the Hebrew. The Hellenistic Jews spoke Greek. So they had a, a little bit of a, of a language barrier there and a distinction. But why were the Hellenistic Jews in Jerusalem? Well, great question. And the reason is because Jewish people want to be buried in Jerusalem. And so if you were one of the diaspora Jews living a couple hundred miles away, maybe when you got old, you moved back to Jerusalem so that when you died, you could be buried there. And as often happens, usually the husbands died first, which left the wives as widows. And there wasn't a whole lot of social welfare at this time. You had to rely on your family when you got older. And if you and your husband had moved 100 miles away from your family and your money ran out and there's no governmental help, somebody's got to help you. And that's where the church came in. So you have the, the native Jews and maybe the foreign Jews that are all there together. And what happened is there it began to be some inequity in the food distribution. Now, it's really easy to go Hellenistic Jews, Hebraic Jews. You know, there's an ethnic difference, perhaps a race difference. Maybe there's a, some people think there's a conservative religion versus liberal religion difference. And all of those are, are important to address because as Galatians tells us in Christ, there is no Jew, nor Greek, no slave, nor free, nor male or female, but all are one in Christ Jesus. So any sort of those boundaries need to be addressed and we, live to, we need to live into that. But that's not the issue here. It's not an ethnic issue. It's not a socioeconomic issue. It's not anything else. What it basically is, is a glitch. Uh, the church is growing. And the need is great, and the mechanism, the system for distributing food, hadn't caught up with yet. With it yet, or, or perhaps the system worked really well when the need was smaller, but the church kept growing, and now the need had changed, and the system was inadequate. But it was just a glitch. 
beginning and end of the story. And I know that it was a glitch by the way they handled it when it came to their attention. But before I get there, I want to make a, an important point. It was a glitch. And I want to pause there for a moment. Life is complicated. And most of us can only pay close attention to, I don't know, one or two things. We all have blind spots. We all miss stuff. Understandings and norms change. And we grow in our understanding, at least ideally, uh, to become better people, to understand things different that might be outside of our normal experience. The important part is not so much that we have a blind spot or that there's a glitch. The important part is what we do when we finally see the area that's missing. I had my yearly physical the other day, which is always a good time, and I've seen the same doctor for about 12 years, and he knows I'm a pastor, and so he always takes the opportunity to chat me up about stuff. He's always wondering what I'm thinking about stuff. And this last year, with all the turmoil in the nation, he had a lot of thoughts, and he was talking about his, his desire and his feeling that there were extremes on both edges, um, but most people were in the center and we had lost the ability to talk. And at one point he said, just because we disagree doesn't mean that one of us is a racist and a sexist and the other one is a socialist. It just means that we disagree. And it sort of struck me because it's so easy to paint with a very broad paintbrush and to demonize somebody else when it might just be a glitch. It might just be a blind spot. It might be an area of growth. We might just disagree. And in a mature Christian way, I might need to cope with the fact that you and I don't always see eye to eye. Or I might have a blind spot where I need to grow. And we just have to be careful about assuming things about people's character and motivation. It might not be a conspiracy. It might not be an indication that they are the enemy. It might just be a glitch. But the important part is what you do when you become aware of the glitch or the blind spot. So the disciples don't know that there are people who didn't feel like they were welcome in the same way. Maybe they should have known, but they didn't. They didn't know that the welcome mat for these people didn't say, welcome home. Until a group of the Hellenistic Jews came to them and said, our widows are being overlooked. And what do the leaders do? Well, they could have said some version of, sorry, but there's only so many resources, or any number of other pleasantries, like be warm, be fed, be clothed, but do that someplace else. But they didn't. In a very real way, the leaders enter into the world of the Hellenistic widows. They see things from their perspective. They understand the issue, and then they fix it. They recognize that these people were part of their community, even if they were slightly different. And I think that's true for us, too. We're called to enter into other people's stories. We're called to enter into other people's worlds, to see things from their perspective. Why? Because Jesus enters our world, and he sets the model for us. And there will always be differences. Republicans, Democrats, vaccinated, non-vaccinated, mask wearing, non-mask wearing, let alone some of the traditional distinctions like age or color or socioeconomic class, gender. There will always be people who aren't us, even if just by virtue of the fact that they're new and we don't know them yet. 
And there will always be a challenge of how do we adapt ministries so that they're actually meeting their stated goals. And there will always be issues that need to be wrestled with. And none of those are bad things. I remember one time in a previous church, a woman came to complain to me and she said to me, there is disquiet in the church because there was some stuff going on. And she meant that as kind of a dig, you know, that I had created disorder and chaos and disquiet in the church. And I thought, good. There are too many churches where there's nothing but quiet, where people are not wrestling with issues, where people are not trying to figure out how to apply the gospel to a different people group or to a different issue or to whatever has come up. And all of those places are slowly dying. I would much rather be a part of a place that might have some blind spots, that might experience some service glitches, but is trying the best they can to be welcoming, to engage with people, and to enter into their worlds. So they've got to figure out how to manage the growth, how to change. And if there's one thing that we have learned over the last year is that there will always be change. So what's the response of the leadership of the church once they have this brought to their attention? Well, they recognize that there's a situation. They didn't necessarily intend it to happen. It just did. And so they create deacons. And that's usually what gets pulled out of this passage, you know, for church governance and church structure. They acknowledge that there is a need and they need to do something about it. So they restructure the ministry so that it can be done more efficiently, so they can do things differently, so that the need can be met. So they choose seven men. And here are their qualifications. They need to be full of the spirit and wisdom. Full of the Spirit, let's call that as being in touch with God in a deep way. Of really caring and knowing what the heart of God is, what the mind of God is in a certain situation. And also, people who are wise. I've really come to appreciate wisdom. Lots of people have a lot of opinions, many times unencumbered by facts. But wisdom is something different. Not that many people are wise. And when you find a wise person, that's a treasure. And so they had this need and they're like, how do we fill the need? We look for people who are passionate for God and people who are wise. So they found these people and they gave the responsibility of revising the ministry. They gave the responsibility of changing the welcome mat from welcome guest to welcome home to these people. They gave it to these folks, and it was so different than just choosing somebody because they knew them or because they were available. So who got chosen who was full of the Spirit and who was wise? Well, that's in verse 5. This proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, also Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, and Nicholas from Antioch, a convert to Judaism. Now, you don't get this in English, but all of those are Hellenistic names. None of them are Hebraic names. They took the welcome so seriously. They took their glitch, their blind spot, so seriously that in order to make sure that there was no hint of favoritism, in order to make sure that these people truly felt welcomed, they turned the ministry completely over to the Hellenistic Jews. Wow, that's pretty amazing. They wanted to make sure that they felt like family. 
They wanted to make sure that they didn't feel like second-class citizens anymore. They wanted them to know that they were seen and that their needs were taken seriously. I think that's pretty amazing. And as we move forward into this new normal, as God brings new people to our doors, as we wrestle with differences and new ideas and different things, I think that's a real example to us. Why is this whole thing important? Well, it's because we take seriously reaching people for Christ. We take seriously developing disciples who make disciples. And we take seriously living lives of compassion, mercy, and justice. And we want to be living into those things. The people that God brings to our doors, the people that have already crossed the threshold, even when it just said, welcome guest, I mean, that's easy. Those are people that have already taken the hardest step. They showed up to this place. It's brand new. And most of them came in hoping that it would be a place where they could connect and where they could belong. Those of us that are already here, we just need to consciously be aware that there will always be new people who would love to be a part of what we are and do what we do here. I become more and more convinced that it is a gospel requirement to notice people. And so many of you are great at this. You're really good in your work, in your friend group, at church, of connecting with people and being in relationship and having conversation. I mean, that's your mission field. You are the type of person that makes people feel important and welcomed. Many of us could grow in that area. It's a little bit challenging, maybe because you're an introvert, maybe because you don't know what to say, maybe because you're not sure whether you've met these people before, and I feel your pain, trust me. It's really embarrassing to introduce myself and ask if people have been here for the first time and have them go, no, I've been here for four months and we've talked three times, but I keep going back. If you don't know how to do this, take some small steps. Learn to just acknowledge people. It's not awkward when you walk somebody by somebody to just go, hi, good morning, or to just smile. And those will make more of an impact than you think that they will. Because here at Harbor Covenant, we want our welcome mat to say welcome home to as many people as possible. So let me ask you a couple of questions. Do you feel like our church welcome mat says welcome guest or welcome home to you? And why? How can you do a better job of noticing people around you? And number three, what can you do to help us be a church whose welcome mat says, welcome home?